Jack Collins approaches the debated passages of Genesis 2, 4, 7, with the intent to clarify perceived inconsistencies with the first chapter of Genesis. He notes that scholars frequently point to these verses to contend for separate sources in the creation narratives due to their apparent discordance. Traditional interpretations suggest that Genesis 2 describes a barren earth at humanity's creation, which conflicts with the abundant life established prior to humans in Genesis 1. To address this issue, Collins employs discourse grammar to analyze the text, questioning common analytical methods that separate the chapters into disjointed accounts. He challenges the view that insists on a strict chronological order between the two passages, which is often used to fuel arguments for source criticism, the scholarly pursuit to identify different origins within the biblical text. Engaging with other scholars like Mark Futato, Collins emphasizes a trend towards reading the passages as non-sequential. Futato suggests Genesis 2 is not a standalone creation story, but an expansion that aligns with specific days from Genesis 1, implying a holistic rather than fragmented interpretation. This is known as the framework interpretation, which regards the creation days metaphorically rather than literally, aimed at illustrating a divine pattern for the human work week. Collins, therefore, debates against the common clause-to-clause -clause discordance analysis. He posits that the days described in Genesis are analogical days, a concept suggesting God's workdays are a pattern for human life, allowing for overlap or thematic rather than chronological grouping of events. In sum, Collins advocates for a reading of Genesis that perceives harmony and complementarity between the two chapters. He encourages a theologically integrated understanding of creation that accepts the days as broadly consecutive, with flexibility in sequence, thereby preserving the unity of the text and aligning with the pattern-setting intention of the biblical narrative. Also, discourse analysis, as explained by Collins, studies texts as acts of communication, decoding grammatical structures such as verb tense to discern the intention of the communicator. To apply this practice to Genesis 2, 4.25, Collins advocates using aspects of discourse grammar that are commonly accepted by Hebrew grammarians. The first step is to discern the genre of the text in question, which in this case, Collins identifies as narrative prose. As part of this process, the boundaries and structures of individual units within the text are delineated to better understand the text's message. In Genesis 2, 4, he identifies an elaborate chiasmus, a figure of speech containing two or more clauses balanced against each other, suggesting that the two accounts are intended to be read as complementary rather than contradictory. Moreover, Collins explores the impact of the changing divine name within the passage and suggests that this serves to unify the accounts rather than to divide them. He then determines that the features of text advise us to perceive verse 4 as a distinct unit and to start a new sentence at the start of verse 5. He concludes that it functions as a heading for the second section. Further analysis of the text leads Collins to the study of the Wayiktol verb form, which he explains is considered as the backbone of biblical Hebrew narrative discourse. This form of verb helps us understand the main sequence of events in a narrator's presentation. The bulk of the storyline commences in verse 7, with verses 5, 6 providing background or setting for the events that follow. Thus, through a detailed analysis of discourse patterns, grammatical structures, and literary techniques, Collins provides a nuanced understanding of Genesis 2, 4, 25, accentuating that the two accounts, seen as complementary rather than contradictory, offer a fuller understanding of the text. Furthermore, 
Collins delves into the intricacies of the Genesis narrative, particularly examining how the accounts of human creation in Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2. 7 can be understood as complementary rather than contradictory. Collins interprets Genesis 2 as detailing the events of the sixth day described in Genesis 1, suggesting that the creation days do not necessarily correspond to 24-hour periods, but could span a broader time frame such as weeks, years, or even longer periods. In his linguistic analysis, Collins focuses on the semantic range of the Hebrew word asterisk eras, traditionally translated as earth, but which he disputes could more accurately be translated as land or region in this context. This distinction indicates a more localized description of the environment where humanity originated, affirming the conditions present in that specific area before the creation of the first human. In addition, Collins argues that the animals mentioned in Genesis 2.19 were created before humans, as recorded in Genesis 1, supporting a chronological sequence that aligns with the first chapter. His interpretive strategy involves taking the two accounts of Genesis as a cohesive whole, advocating for a reading that is consistent with ancient Near Eastern literary styles and the Hebrew language. By proposing a harmonized narrative, Collins aims to bridge apparent discrepancies between the two chapters. He posits that in a distinct region and time, before seasonal rains and as a life-giving mist began to rise, God formed the first human. God's subsequent creation of the Garden of Eden and the placement of the man there to cultivate and keep it fits seamlessly into the broader creation story. Collins's synthesis asserts a reading that respects both the grammatical structure and the historical lexical understanding of the text offering a unified vision of the creation story as presented in the early chapters of Genesis. Last but not least, Collins examines a nuanced revision of Genesis 2, 4, 8, engaging with the original Hebrew to clarify ambiguous terms and interpretative challenges. His focus on the word ed, traditionally translated as mist, challenges the usual understanding. Collins, building upon the scholarship of Delitzsch and more contemporary work by Futato, contends for rain cloud, drawing on its only other biblical occurrence and Arabic cognates to underpin his reasoning, despite alternative suggestions like spring from the Septuagint and flood from other scholars. He scrutinizes the phrase in the day, proposing it signifies the onset of a process, thereby supporting the notion that the creation days may represent expansive time periods. This is in line with the text's rationale that vegetation's absence was due to a lack of rain and an absence of man to cultivate the earth, implying a time span exceeding a mere few days. Further, Collins explores the precise meaning of Hadam, the man, highlighting the first human, and plays on the connection to Adama, ground, from which he was created, reflecting a linguistic interplay that indicates mankind's intrinsic bond with the earth. The formation of man is presented as a divine breath animating dust, resulting in a living being. Collins critically assesses the use of the pluperfect tense in traditional translations that suggest the garden in Eden was planted prior to the formation of man. He posits that the narrative structure indicates the opposite. The formation preceded the garden's planting. His rigorous analysis is an attempt to reconcile the English translation with the rich subtleties of Hebrew. Respecting the textual integrity and the broader cultural and literary context within which Genesis was written. In conclusion, Collins confronts the scholarly consensus that Genesis 2, 4, 7 represents a contradictory creation account to that of Genesis 1. 
Critics often suggest these passages stem from separate sources due to perceived inconsistencies. Collins, however, debates for a unified interpretation through discourse grammar, an analysis of the text as a communicative act which respects the original Hebrew language and narrative technique. Besides, he challenges the traditional clause-by-clause discordance analysis that separates the chapters, proposing instead that the accounts should be read as non-sequential and complementary. Collins introduces the framework interpretation, which views the days in Genesis not as literal 24-hour periods, but as metaphorical analogical days, indicative of a divine pattern that structures human activity and allows for a thematic grouping of events. Additionally, using discourse analysis, Collins identifies a chiasmus at the start of Genesis 2. 4. Disputing for the chapter's interdependency. He maintains the importance of the Wayiktol verb form, which suggests a continuous narrative starting from verse 7, with earlier verses providing necessary background. This narrative analysis upholds the account's compatibility and a more nuanced understanding of the text's message. Also, Collins reinterprets key Hebrew terms, positing that Genesis 2 details the sixth-day events of Genesis 1 over an extended time frame. He argues for a more localized environmental context and for the pre-existence of animals before humans, aligning the sequence with Genesis 1. His approach harmonizes the narrative, resonating with ancient Near Eastern literary forms and Hebrew tradition. In essence, Collins' linguistic and grammatical scrutiny offers a synchronized reading of the Genesis creation narrative, advocating for an interpretation that finds harmony in the text, upholding both the grammatical structure and the historical lexical integrity of the biblical narrative.